Hey everyone, welcome to the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you are joining us for the first time, my name is Delia Folk and I previously worked on the buying team at Barney's New York and my mom, Allison Brune, is an in-demand national wardrobe consultant. We are the co-hosts for this podcast. Our mission is to give access to the often closed, exclusive and insular fashion industry. In the podcast, we interview movers and shakers in the fashion, beauty, jewelry, art and entrepreneurial space. We want you to walk away having learned something, feeling inspired and confident. You belong with us and we are better because you are here. We hope you enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to the Style That Finds Us YouTube channel. Today we are at Shin Gallery with Shin, the founder, and also with Vajra Kingsley, whom I met on a Six Degrees Society retreat in the Hamptons. She is an art industry insider, both of them are, and they're going to give us the lowdown of what it means to work in the art world. Vajra is the Director of Marketing and Business Development at Art Media Holdings. Art Media Holdings has publications such as Art News, Art in America, Modern Magazine, and Antiques. That's quite the mouthful, so I'm very impressed that you got that all in. Uh, Yes, so I'm very fortunate to work at Art Media Holdings, and I decided today to do this interview in a dear friend of mine, Shin's Gallery. Uh, I chose this space not only because of the current exhibition that's up right now, but I feel that Shin and how he's working with his gallery and his artists is very important to what I want to be doing in the future and how I want to be engaging and educating and working with young collectors. So I'm, I'm so excited to give you my insider tips in, in what I've been doing and, and what we hope to be doing in 2019. Definitely. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, Shin Gallery was founded in 2013. Uh, currently, uh, we have three spaces in the Lower East Side. They're right next to each other. And by uh, 2019, uh, hopefully by March, everything will be connected and we'll just have one large space. That's amazing. And uh, I actually started gallery business uh, after my sophomore year in college. So I got one corner space uh, in the Lower East Side um, and started showing some Korean contemporary art. And then I, my, I developed my programs and I understand more about contemporary art as I meet many people and spend more time with artists. Now um, we have artists, uh, I mean we represent artists from Israel, um, um, Sweden, Switzerland, Korea, and many, I mean, and and Brazil. Many Brazil, yes, <laughs> Brazil, yeah, and many other countries. Right. Congratulations, we're so excited to be here with you both. So, Vajra, let's talk about what does your role entail? What does a week look like for you? Well, it's very exciting because we're trying to rewrite how people understand publishing. And I think that right now, uh, we're at a big defining point. People are not reading as much as they used to. The concept of long-form digestion, reading five or six pages, just we don't have the time for it anymore, or we don't allow for the time. And so my role is really looking at how to engage in new ways with our audience, whether that's a VR experience or creating an evening that takes the art to a different level. 
And I think why this is so important is because education around culture and the arts has to shift if people are going to continue to invest in it. Because going to the museum as a kid is no longer enough to get a child at 20 or 30 to truly be buying and investing in the way their parents did. And so I think through these more experiential partnerships that I've been working on, that in the next 10 years will pay off. And then these kids that were in their 20s will say, wow, I had this amazing experience at the Apollo Circle where I got to see the artwork come to life in a whole new way. And those are the kinds of experiences we want to create and give to our new audience so that in 20 years, they will really be kind of actually investing in this industry. Uh, collecting as we know it is going to change. People are not going to keep buying the way they used to. So we have to understand how can we give them the art uh, in new ways. And, and so that's generally my week. That the, the nitty gritty of it is, um, it's interesting working with big brands and partners from AXA to US Trust. We're working on a very exciting Warhol show that is opening this week at the Whitney and it's the largest um, retrospective Warhol's ever had at the Whitney. Uh, it's very, very special. And, you know, we're dealing with guys from the 80s that haven't come out publicly to talk about their experiences with Warhol. So you're dealing with everything from corporate clients to artists and dealers. It's, a, it's definitely a wild mix, uh, but it's, it's what I love. And uh, it's, it's really important. I think that's the one thing I've seen over the year is all of the personal connections I've made with people um, who are excited about the art world, um, but don't necessarily know how to engage with it. And so it's, it's, I sit in a really special seat getting to kind of bring, bring new life into a community that uh, since, you know, I grew up in the art world, so it's, it's been around me my whole life, so I feel very lucky. That's exactly why we're here. <laughs> people should engage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what do you think is the future of collecting art? So I actually, Shin and I have had some really interesting conversations around this dynamic of ownership. I think that what's happened in the last decade is, especially my generation, feels like there's so much. You know, why do we need to own? I mean, you'll even look at this in, in real estate. Kids don't want to buy the giant estate anymore. They want a nice apartment in a city where they have access to everything. And I think that that also reflects in how we want to experience our art. We don't need hundreds of walls to hang our art personally. We want to go experience it with a group of friends and create memories around it. And maybe then when they're older, they'll say, oh, I've had all these amazing memories around Warhol. I want one in my home. And maybe that's where the shift happens. But I, I do, I think that it's, it's much more on this creating their own experiencing, experiences and not needing the ownership factor. And I think that when you look at how museums work, it's this experience of kind of going and looking instead of going and engaging. Because we're so obsessed with our phone, we're like, oh, we'll take a picture and that will like quantify the experience in the artwork. So I think it's that shift of okay, how do we how do we really get people to experience in the physical space? Is that going through a museum with a VR headset? Is that having the museum have extraordinary technology where it knows where you are in the museum and can tell, oh, they're getting bored. We need to we need to send them a text and say, have you seen this? 
So there's the museums all over the world trying interesting new formats. The Museum of Tomorrow, I would say, is one of the leading museums in South America that really is trying to think about what is the engagement of the audience and how can we constantly be feeding them more information, not even just while they're there, but after they leave. We noticed you were standing at the Chagall piece, piece for 15 minutes. How, how can we then, after they leave, send them more information about the Chagall? So like thinking really outside the box. Um, and I'm sure you That's have very, some, very some opinions yourself on, on engagement, but uh, th those are kind of the main issues that I'm looking at when seeing how do we change uh, the overall experience of what it means to walk into an academic space and look at art. And I think it also has to shift in the gallery. I mean, you see things that Gagosian is doing around fairs, having virtual viewing rooms where, you know, people all over the world want to be able to have access to looking at art. So how can we use this technology, not as something to separate us further from the art, but to bring us closer together? And, if you and, I, and I think that that's the place we're in right now is there still is this fear and, and this kind of avoidance of technology. Whereas I think in the next five years, technology is going to become our best friend at re-educating people that it's not a bad thing. Art can be experienced uh, virtually mm -hmm. and, and it can still be super, super high quality. Well, I think too, when you walked us through this gallery today and told us the story um, that the artist was working around when he created his work, I feel like that gave me a whole new perspective of what I was looking at. So the story behind the art is also important too. Especially right now, mm -hmm. uh, young collectors or just like young generations, mm -hmm. they felt experienced mm -hmm. more than owning artworks, I think. Right. So, th about three years ago, uh, I changed my gallery into massage powder oh. and then had a show with Araki. So, from outside, we like printed all the price list and like like a Chinatown massage parlor right. and even inside like we paint the wall in pink and then we did like very cheap flooring and everything looked exactly like massage parlor wow. that you can say no you know in Chinatown and like since we are showing our artists photos which are very sexual like oh. Sometimes we got really wrong people. Like before, <laughs> we before we open the gallery, like there are like they really five people, like five guys that are just waiting till we open. Ooh, yeah, wow. and then when we open this the, is art. Yeah, and when we open the gallery, they're like, oh, we want to get get a massage. Yeah. Like we and my um, staff had to explain that. Actually, this is a show, and that's uh, it's a not real massage parlor. <laughs> and then once police actually came and then just like uh, watching us, like for one day, like all day, and seeing that people were coming. Yeah, and um, also uh, one of our neighbors tried to sue us because they really thought there's a massage parlor. Yeah, you're and bringing down the yeah yeah. We um, sent email and then. We have to explain that this is very temporary show. <laughs> it's so funny. We are showing very important contemporary right. art yes, here. Yes. So, but so that funny. one was quite success. It was great success because people, when people uh, go to museums or galleries, like first, like 
it's not like a casual, but it's not like a going to cafe, right? Right. So I want to, I, I whenever I walk around the neighborhood, I carefully right. observe like people and like how can I invite more people? Like not just like people who are in the art world, right? But in general. Right. Well, yeah, and that's exactly why we're here today. There's yeah. Like people that kind of want to be more exposed, and they have so many questions, and they're just reticent because they don't. You know, they, they don't know how to take the first step. So. It's that intimidation factor. Yeah, it I think is. that yeah. doing yeah. something yeah. like this is the exact um, space that we need to continue to think creatively in how we can bring those new people in. Right. Because it is such an adventure and experience, they're forgetting about the intimidation factor and walking in. Right. Yeah, and that's like the true first step into discovery. Yeah, the and word adventure. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think also switching the traditional format of this very official space and making it feel like a discovery. Mm -hmm. Like, where am I going? Right. Is this a massage parlor or is this contemporary art? Right. And the long, there should be those questions. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we think, no, it's always going to be a stark white space, right. that's us becoming too conditioned. Right. So, so I think that it's, um, and also I think you have to mention the graffiti ah, complete takeover yes. that you also did. So after massage parlor exhibition, I, uh, you know, like these days, 90% of galleries have just white walls, right? Yes. So I, my staff and I uh, painted wall in black and then there's no artwork and we invited people. Mm -hmm. We had like graffiti nights, so oh, we had nice. like three graffiti nights. Wow. From like, you know, kids, like really, really like, really cool. yeah, like people who are not familiar with right. contemporary art, they just bring like, you know, markers, sharpie or sure. spray paint. Uh, they come and they really trash the gallery, you know. <laughs> it didn't take that long, you know. Yeah. It was like graffiti everywhere, and um, we had. It was very fun. Like they put That's stickers cool. and then, and then we installed um, urinals and um, <laughs> toilet, and we changed. We changed. I transformed the space into CPGB bathroom. That sounds you have to say. Yeah, sounds like that. Yeah. Then we, I uh, curated a show with some of the best um, modern artist works, yeah. including Baltus, um, Hammershowit, and Dali. So uh, we had very important curators um, during the show. And first, when they walk in, they're like, "Are they real?" Like yeah. they're like. I bet. Yeah, like they're curious whether this is sure. real. And yes, probably this is first time that uh, somebody's showing Dali next to toilet. Wow. Yeah, the uh, painting of a wow. urinal and Hemershoi painting wow. by the sink. But it was like. And everybody would remember it. Yeah. Talk about it and tell other people. And mm -hmm. it, yeah, that's Yeah, so we tried to really? invite, you know, more. Like general people, because I I always feel that whenever I go to events, like there are pretty much the same people. people right? Artists for everybody. Yeah. Fashion is for everybody. Yeah. Artists for everybody. 
Yeah. So I try to break the barrier. Yeah. That's right. And I think another really important element in both of those shows that he discussed is this connection between high and low. Mm -hmm. Is that you can show amazing contemporary art in a fake massage parlor, mm -hmm. and you can show modern masters in front of a urinal, and it does something special. Oh, yeah. And it's and it's that magic that you have to pay attention to because it's in these extremely homogenized spaces that things, the beauty gets a little lost. And I think there is a time and place when sure, sure. there's a big auction, when you know it's extremely business oriented where you need to maybe have a, a white neutral space. But when you're trying to have a curator really come up with something new, exciting and engaging for a general audience, you have to bring these qualities together. Sometimes you see the painting more in that situation than you would on the white wall. It's like Absolutely. you see an advertisement, a fashion ad, and they have a ball gown in the bodega or at a construction site. Yes. That you pay so much more attention to because it's so intriguing. So I think that's Brilliant. Absolutely. The whole thing is a work of art. That's very neat. Okay, so let's talk about the different personalities. So we have galleries in Chelsea, Upper East Side, and Lower East Side. Huh. Chelsea, I mean, obviously, there are so many big galleries, mega galleries, but seems like even those big galleries are closing these days and wow. some of them are moving to the Upper East Side or to the Lower East Side. Um, it's very hard to tell which one is better, you know, right. because Lower East Side galleries also have great program, mm -hmm. uh, but it's just different energy. I think Chelsea right now, um, there are more um, condominiums and it's more like residential yeah. area, mm -hmm. uh, but in the Lower East Side, you, there are so many like cool bars, restaurants, mm -hmm. so you can really enjoy like food, mm -hmm. art, and like all music, like, comedy. Yeah. I mean, it's all here, yeah. and I think that that's what makes the Lower East Side feel much more natural and organic because it, people live here. People are you know, going to the coffee shop and making their work here. There's things really happening, mm -hmm. whereas Chelsea has become too big. Mm -hmm. It's too corporate. It's very business. It's the big, big mega galleries. Mm -hmm. And even those big, some of those big mega galleries are closing. They're probably not taking as many chances. You can't, not with that kind of overhead. And I mean, people that have had galleries in Chelsea for 30, 40 years are closing and they're not reopening because, I mean, the biggest question, regardless of where you are, is does it still make sense to have a gallery? Because people function in such a different way now. Now, there's certain galleries that are amazing curators and they're, they're galleries, but they're also wanting to show their artists, bring people into a space. That's part of their skill set. But certain galleries are like, I'm much more of a dealer, I'm making my money at the fairs, and it doesn't make sense for me, in addition to pay sometimes yeah, yeah. over 200000 a year just in going to fairs. That's the booth. That's not talking about the traveling, having your staff there. So maybe it just makes sense for me to be a fair gallery. And I'm just going to be at the fairs, and I'll have a website, and That's my clients will call me, and I can have a private showroom. Mm. 
that's that sometimes makes more sense in this climate. That is so interesting to me because it's the same thing with fashion. A lot of designers want to do trunk shows now. They want to come to these towns instead of having a store, so a physical store. That's really interesting. Well, I mean, even like we were dealing with this with big brands last year. They were saying, how can you help us bring people into our store because everyone shops online? Yeah. And to get someone to come to your store, you have to really call them. And I mean, of course, you know, Louis Vuitton or Hermes, they're always going to have people coming in, but they're still afraid because they know that the reality is, why are we going to have $20 million headquarter flagships if people are just buying online? Yeah. And, and so then what is the purpose of this physical space? Mm-hmm. To truly inspire and excite people through the arts. And that's mixing fashion and art, just like mm-hmm. it, for, for the art world, they're having to say, okay, how are we gonna bring people together? If, we, if we're only having 100 people show up for an opening night and the gallery is basically empty the rest of the other two months, mm-hmm. What do you know? What do we do? How, do we throw dinners? Do we do we have talks? Like, how do we change that? And so it's the question everyone's asking in any type of industry where you need people to physically come into right. your space. Right. You know, um, since last year I started doing a lot of public shows. You know, I used to do fairs, uh-huh. but this year I only did three fairs mm-hmm. and. Uh, instead of spending more money on yeah, traveling yeah. or participating in different mm-hmm. fairs, because it costs a lot of money. I mean, 200000 is more. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not guaranteed that people will come and buy because so so much there are it. so many art fairs. There are at least three different fairs every month. So um, it used to, like, I mean, Art fairs used to uh, be the place where collectors go and buy artwork, but mm-hmm. these days it seems like all big galleries don't bring the best quality of artwork to art fair because there is risk that if yeah. they don't sell, then everybody's oh, we saw that they didn't sell, so it's a part piece, you know. So what I what I started doing past like a few years mm-hmm. is that. I'm going to um, different cities. Let's say, I mean, this summer, like summer is like in August, New York is completely dead, right? So what I did was in Asia, August is actually the season because everybody's on vacation and they don't really go to travel, like uh, vacation for a month. They just go to vacation for like three days or a week. But they still want something more. They want something interesting. So what I did was uh, I found an empty space in Seoul Mm -hmm. and then I created uh, a revolving door uh, with large, like mirror size artwork. So basically, like when, like everywhere say, I mean, people are not allowed to touch the artwork, right? right? But you actually have to push the door to get, to get in. Absolutely. Yeah. So first, I try to give very unique experience, and yeah. I'm just doing it for two or three days. Right. So um, every three days, I change the show with like completely change the show, wow. the artist and artwork, the theme, everything was completely different. And we have about 2,500 visitors 
uh, in nine days, and it wow. was a great success. Wow. And I will, I'm planning to do it in Shanghai, and then I will also try in South Africa, yeah. in Cape Town. So I, they, it's, they only come to see us. Uh, like when we are doing art fairs, mm -hmm. there are so many other yeah, galleries, right? It's just a wash. Yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting. Pop up show doing in different countries mm -hmm. and different cities is quite uh, it's risky, but actually more impactful. Very yeah, impactful. Yeah, I, I can definitely do that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so when you come into an art gallery, even for an opening, could it be that all the work has been sold already? I've never sold everything before the <laughs> show. Right? And even if uh, we sell everything during the show, we try to have more pieces. Because uh, for me, like red dots doesn't mean anything, you know? Like really, like if something sells, like let's say at an art fair, if some piece, one piece sells, instead of putting red uh, yeah. on the wall, we replace the artwork. Oh yeah. Because um, many galleries say, oh, this is so, that's so, that's so. This is fun. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to say people that these are already sold, you know? I want to just, um, Sell more. Sure. Right? I have limited time. Yeah. I mean, the show is like when I have a like, specific exhibition at my gallery, I cannot replace the work, but we have a private viewing space and hey, mm -hmm. you know, we have a few more other pieces. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we invite them and we show them. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's good to know. I mean, there are definitely shows that will sell out, but that's the you're, you should always have at least a few in the back. Um, yeah. Otherwise, you're not doing it right. <laughs> but yes, generally speaking, galleries hope to have a good portion already designated to specific collectors. Um, that's kind of the way to ensure a successful show, and they usually will do that at fairs as well. They have a sense of who their top collectors are and who's going to be showing up and, and what they're interested in. So generally, off the bat, a few pieces are sold and then you hope to, to sell out. But it's, it is not an easy business and it's not an easy time right now. Right. Um, you know, we, we were talking today, you know, the American market seems to be doing well, but that doesn't speak to necessarily the art market, which functions on a much more global scale. Right. And now I would say in terms of collecting, we look to Asia. You know, who's buying? What are they buying? Are they slowing down? Oh no, they're slowing down. That means we should probably slow down. Mm -hmm. It's all a competition. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also, you know, if the Chinese are slowing down, uh-oh, we should really be slowing down. What are we paying attention to? So mm -hmm. it's definitely a cause and effect uh, game. And, you know, there was a bubble, what, three, four years ago yeah. first? And so I think it's gonna happen again. I mean, we've just mm -hmm. been growing, 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 and the auctions this week will, will tell us a lot. I mean, this, yeah, there's a few really exciting pieces. I don't know if you guys got to see the Hockney show this summer at the Met, but that, that beautiful pool is oh supposed to go for a record for a living artist, over eight million. Gorgeous, that thing. And I mean, that's a whole other dynamic is the auction houses. Mm -hmm. And what are the auction houses going to do? I mean, people always said no one's going to pay 
you know, millions for artwork they haven't seen in person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people will stay, still say that these days. Mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. that's true because uh, I also collect, uh-huh. uh, so I buy a lot of pieces from different countries, and uh-huh. I just like when I just look at the work from images on their website. You have sense, like you can, like you pretty much know which, I mean, which are good and which are bad. And I've been collecting past, uh, I've been collecting art past uh, fifteen years, mm-hmm. and eighty percent I just bought uh, wow. from images. And then it came to you, and then you yeah. saw it. For that the also time. speaks to our generation being so much more comfortable in front of the screen, right? And, and it's just, we're used to it. We buy everything we need for our home online. Right. And it's like, okay, paintings. Yes. Painting is an obvious addition yes. for some of us. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so when you're putting on a show, how long does it take? How long is it up? And what goes into putting on a show like this? Uh, it really depends on the show. Usually, uh, we one show uh, goes for six weeks, and we change exhibitions every six weeks. Uh, preparation, if we try to uh, do very immersive exhibitions, it takes probably more than a month. For example, the massage power, we had to build like everything. And we had to paint the wall, we had to paint the price list. We had my intern, one of my intern's job was going to visit all the massage parlor in, <laughs> in Chinatown and then take photos and collect uh, information and collecting all the abortion, you know, like um, yeah, coupons and, yeah, so <laughs> that's uh, but usually it takes about uh, two weeks or two weeks to a month to prepare the show. So you shut the gallery? Yeah. Two weeks to a month. Yeah. You're changing out. Yeah. Okay. And how do you find collectors? Um, That's a great question. This time, when I did a pop-up show in Korea, I didn't know anyone. So what I did was I uh, contacted few press that I'm coming. This is my concept. I'm going to show this. And then uh, we got good press before. Uh, we actually started a uh, pop-up show, so like a few people started coming, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, no, I have to make sure that I can attract more people within nine days. Right. So what I did was, I did two lectures, morning, one in the morning and another one in the afternoon, mm-hmm. uh, with different topics, mm-hmm. like uh, from, like, um, for example, like I've been I've been to like at least 15 different fairs this year. Mm-hmm. So like some of the highlights from each fair, because Korean collectors, they travel, but I don't think they can travel. Nobody travels that much. Yeah, right. it's yeah. difficult. So for them, it's like a great opportunity mm-hmm. to see, you know, like contemporary artwork right. outside of Asia, right? right? Right, So I did pretty much like, I don't know, like 20 different lectures. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and of course I did some extra too. Yeah. So it was, um, and that's how I actually invited. Uh, I got to meet new collectors, and you know, like many galleries um, try to sell 
are upwards to big collectors, right? Mm -hmm. But after I'm doing this gallery business uh, for five years, it's good to sell um, pieces to important collectors, but I really enjoy cultivating young collectors, you know, like yes. emerging collectors. Because, you know, I working together, like I can make someone like to a big collector, you know? Sure, exactly. And big collectors or it not or not exist until right. like I don't know, they they work with many galleries past like thirty years or twenty right. years. So for us like working with like young collectors like for like twenties and thirties, like they also make decisions a lot faster. Then yes. big collectors. Big collectors sure. expect so many things. Right. I mean, not always, but many times, like they know that they can get some good deals. <laughs> yeah. But sure. young collectors, let's say, like, well, actually, one morning I was just working. It was like around like ten in the morning. It was Sunday morning. I was sitting uh, in my desk and. One guy was just running around, you know, he was jogging and he just walked into the gallery and bro, what is this? I love this work. And I, this is like I explained our artist and it was like about thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. I want to buy it. And his, that was his first piece. Wow. Yeah. And that's so much fun because they have so much passion, they're so excited. Yeah. It's kind of like working with Emerging designers, or you with emerging gallerists, and things like that. So, so those are sometimes the most important experiences because that oh, first yeah. piece, giving him a good experience, making it feel so personal, mm -hmm. that could have shifted him from being a one time collector yeah. to actually becoming a serious one. Right, exactly. Actually, you're absolutely right. And I think that's a big problem with a lot of big galleries where if you're a nobody, they're not even going to give you the time of day. And they're they're only looking for the big fish for the repeat customer because they want to be able to tell the artist this is who bought your work. And I think that it's so limiting realizing guys, we have a whole new generation of serious collectors to cultivate. The big fish are gonna stay big fish and we gotta figure out who the new ones are. Sure. It's so important. And be open to whoever they might be. I mean there's so much going on on the West Coast with the whole tech boom. I mean, you realize all these young kids have all this money, and they're like, what are we going to put it into? So they're, you know, uh, Pace has done a really good job on the West Coast trying to kind of get people that are super involved in tech to understand the importance of art. And they're especially, they're like, we don't want a bunch of like old work on our walls. So they're like, okay, how do we recreate? You know, they're really heavy in because they know that that audience, they're not going to buy mm -hmm. a you know, Renaissance masterpiece. That's just mm -hmm. not what their homes look like. Mm -hmm. right? So they got to reorient. But it's, it's definitely an exciting landscape for young collectors. And I think that you know, Asia, Middle East, that's really where a lot of my focus is going to be in the next few years because you look at what happened in China from 2009 to now and how much they've grown and become comfortable with their own cultural identity, which is now, I think, shifting the way they want to purchase and acquire culture, most specifically art. And I think that exact same thing is going to be happening in the Middle East in the next five years. 
So really working with the top cultural ministers and top collectors and royal families to really kind of integrate an education system where where acquisition of art um, is, is central. So you worked with at least four different publications. How do you treat each one differently? Well, it's definitely a very sensitive subject because I never want to give one too much attention. However, it's a very different dynamic. The magazine Antiques kind of events and partnerships are very specific to the different fairs and shows happening and also the clientele. It's definitely an older clientele, but I have to say, you know, antiques are coming back in a really interesting way and this exciting juxtaposition of old and new yeah, people love. love. And so that this whole last year has been figuring out where do we want to go? And there's this amazing interior designer named Thomas Jane, and I will never forget his quote, which is, tradition is now. And he comes from very antiquated backgrounds from the South, very old traditional American style. And he loves this idea of taking, you know, some beautiful Rococo antiquated furniture and putting it next to something mid-century modern. Like there's yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with it. And we did this amazing talk with Thomas Jane and my dear friend Young Paris. Young Paris is like a rapper signing yeah, yeah. Rock Nation. But he grew up in Hudson, which is an antique town. Mm -hmm. And his first job was working for a guy in the back office dealing with all the antiques and moving mm -hmm. them around. And his understanding, he says, it changed the way I was able to talk to people because I had a sense of culture and history through these objects that I worked with. And so this first thing I did with the magazine Antiques made me realize how, you know, you can take anything and make it young and fresh. Mm -hmm. And and so it, that was really my first ever, I really didn't know much about antiques, except for I also grew up in Hudson, so I, I had them around me, mm -hmm. but my you know academic knowledge was mm -hmm. definitely not as, as vast as contemporary art. So I was so nervous, like, how am I gonna be able to plan things for a brand that I don't know as well? And it just happened so naturally. And I think that what's so exciting about all of these publications is they play off of one another. So when I'm doing something for you know the art market with art news, then I realize, oh my goodness, it actually connects with modern and this design event we want to do. Sure. I mean, you look at the fairs, for example, Freeze. You know, you have Freeze, and then you have Pads. So you're getting contemporary art, and you're getting amazing furniture, and then you're getting masterpieces at Freeze Masters. So you really are able to kind of allow the magazines to play off each other's events, and it also brings in this amazing cross-pollination. So I can invite people that I know love contemporary and say, you know what, I really think you'd love this antiques event, trust me. And they're like, oh my gosh, you broadened my horizon. So I think it's actually a really natural fit. Uh, someday when publishing becomes a big booming business again, I'd love to have three of me, because that would make my life a lot easier. Um, but I think that it's been an amazing year showing myself I can make what I thought was impossible possible. Mm -hmm. And and I think that as these magazines, you know, Modern is only a few years old, it was started in 2009, but I think that there is this new um, emerging trend of collecting design um, in a very high level, and that's really what Modern functions as, is kind of a departure from the magazine antiques and being able to look at late 20th and 21st century and how design is an elevated art form. 
and how people, when they're collecting in the top 200 level, they're also, every piece of furniture has to echo their sure. art because it's, you know, the, ba- the, the building foundation to, to showcase your art. So when you go to people like Peter Brand's home, you see it as this kind of flawless extension well, of his art. taste. You know, it really is. And craftsmanship and everything else. And I mean, it's so funny. I had my first real fashion experience in Paris during Fiat. And I, you know, I'm always so on the go. I never felt like, okay, fashion in addition to, to what I'm also doing. Right, right. And I had this amazing designer who said, don't worry about it. We're going we're gonna to take care of you for the week. And it changed my understanding of how, just like if you have an amazing artwork on your wall, how it makes you feel better. Yeah. When you're wearing something that you feel so comfortable in, it completely changes the way you engage with people. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, again, it's, it's, it's part of the building foundation yeah. to making an amazing campus. It's, yeah. It just, it elevates. And so it was it was really fun to to be able to also see how people in the fashion um, are doing exactly the same thing. And then how people engage with you when you're feeling that way. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And you need a curator. You know, you can't always be your own curator. Like no. trying to figure out what you're going to wear, just like trying to figure it's out what like you're going to put last on, thing the on the list. You know, when you're trying to put together shows. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so to, in today's digital world, how can print still stay relevant? It's all about re-educating. So as soon as we, and it's, it's already happening, I think that this Luddite nostalgia is already coming back for kind of this physical, personal, intimate experience. And we're constantly being bombarded. The idea that you can pick something up that won't text you or bug you or shoot you an email is kind of exciting. It's it's the ultimate unplug. Right. And so I think it's already a concept of like unplug and educate, but I think that it's more experiences, more time getting people excited to go back to that more long form. Mm-hmm. And and it's not gonna be easy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's it's we're gonna have a lot of trial and error yeah. and, and really figuring out what that is. I also think that a more kind of interactive reading is gonna also become a thing, whether that's with Google Glasses or other VR um, systems where reading won't always be paper because we don't Trees need to be saved. We have to be more inventive of how we are reading and engaging um, with material. But I do think it has to be something that is more refined and isn't a system of, I'm on my phone reading this really impersonal article and I'm getting 100 texts at the same time. Or a magazine that is mainly ads. You know, and the meat of it is just... Exactly. And I I still don't think we necessarily understand what those channels will be. They're still evolving. So I think that it's the most important thing is staying open and realizing that we don't know what it is exactly yet, but everyone should always be looking for the next thing that excites them. And it doesn't have to be reading. If it's watching Vice five-minute videos, okay. If that's taking you to the next level of being engaged, that's what's important. And there's no judgment. Everyone has to figure out what works best for them. The most important thing is 
understanding. And I think that we have such little understanding. We'll go to a show and we'll be like, oh yeah, I took a photo of this, I liked it. I don't know the artist, I don't even know what period it's from. So like attention to details. And that's what we have to figure out. How do we feed people more details and information and, and let it stick? So, so, so that's really, um, those are the elements that we need to continue to look to figure out what, what, the, what the future will be because it's, it's, not, it's not printing a hundred pages of paper. Right. I have a quick question. Are there trends in art like there are in fashion? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, similar to how, you know, everyone will be looking at African-American prints mm -hmm. that's okay. really hot. The African art market and looking at contemporary art last year was everywhere. I mean, people were so focused on this new vision of Africa that wasn't confined to tribal maps. Right. That there, and especially contemporary African-American art and seeing how African-American painters are responding to being in America for this long and what this new contemporary African-American art looks like. Uh, it's really exciting. I think this year there's going to be a lot of focus on South America uh, and L.A., LA is going to be very huge this fall because of Freeze moving there and kind of LA has always had this kind of separated identity mm -hmm. uh, and kind of always wanted to remain on its own, avoidant of New York because LA started with a bunch of big dealers saying, screw New York, I'm over this, yeah. I'm going to the sunshine and we're going to create a more laid back LA art scene mm -hmm. and it's now being kind of legitimized in a bizarre way through this fair and really saying, you know, world, we're here, we want we want the contemporary art world to kind of come and, and be collecting in a major way on the West Coast. So it'll be it'll be extremely interesting. Um, but absolutely there's major, major trends and there are different people that, that are that kind of set make those decisions and, and different shows that kind of you know, the Warhol show is a perfect example. Warhol now for the next, I mean, he, people are always like, aren't he, isn't he always hot? And that's definitely not the case. People, he's iconic, but him being in everyone's ear in the way he's about to be for the next four years is very different. And also then that affects the art market. So, so these are, they all kind of majorly play off of each other, just the way fashion. Well, Calvin Klein with Warhol. And also, I mean, that's an amazing show they did, but also what he, they did with Ralph Simmons and the whole textile. Yeah. I mean, the, the American Folk Art Museum honored him because they felt like this is a huge American trend that people are paying a lot of attention to. And so it's, they, they so feel like one another. Absolutely. So you put on a lot of events. What goes into putting on an event? Wow, well, I had no idea how much went into it till, uh, till I got started almost a year ago. And I mean, everything from finding the appropriate partner, because, you know, I try and avoid going with major, you know, fashion um, merchandise brands. I try and get more brands that are in our industry. So it usually is a fine art insurance or major banks that um, back big art shows. And so that's always the first thing. Who is the partner? You know, what's the message? Uh, and then it's figuring out who's the community. Am I bringing together top 200 collectors? Am I bringing together people that have never experienced the art world? And it's definitely understanding the magic mix because you don't want all of one. And so that's a huge part is if your community that you're bringing to the space isn't right, the event's not right. 
Yeah. And so that's another huge thing. Then, you know, many, we're dealing with aesthetic people. You always have to have a space that's inspiring, engaging, and then content in the space that people are like, okay, I know why I'm here. So many events I go to and I'm like, why am I here? We don't understand what the, why you're bringing everyone together. Yeah. So those are really most important elements. And I feel really lucky working on the publishing side uh, as I used to work in PR and this desire for press. You know, I feel so lucky that I feel I can throw an amazing event and I don't need, I don't need anyone to cover this. All I need to know is that my audience have left right. with something. Right. And that's the, you know, what's the takeaway? So those, I would say, are the most important elements when when you're throwing an event, and and also making sure that your partners are, are good partners and bring mm -hmm. great people to the table. Sure. You know, I've had an amazing experience working with the Peninsula. They're such an elevated hotel group that they really showed me what a gift it is to work with someone that has such fine attention to detail. Mm -hmm. They really so, do. Just appearance. Oh, yeah. The, the Paris dinner we did was beyond beyond, and I was so nervous because I'm sure you know dealing with Parisians can be difficult sometimes. <laughs> so I was definitely a little apprehensive. But yeah, they're, they're an amazing partner that we'll be continuing to work with in Hong Kong. So they have an amazing headquarter there for our fossil. So yeah, it's, it's uh, events, you know, I say it's not going to be what I finish uh, my career doing, but it is such an important foundation mm -hmm. because you have to wear every single hat mm -hmm. and you have to be okay, you know, whether it's you're bringing the napkins and making sure that the bar is set up or that you're escorting clients, you know, to yeah. where they need to go. It's you really everything. All hands on deck. Yeah. There's no job too small. No, never. Especially in fashion too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about brand partnerships. What goes into that? How do you find them? What does that look like? You've got to follow your notes. You've got to have good instinct. And you also have to have a good team to remind you of the things that you're not always open to. I think I always have to catch myself and say, oh, am I limiting myself? Do I think that this isn't appropriate? But really, I need someone to push me. So make sure that you have a good team of people that will challenge you and question, you know, why are you leaving this brand out? Or why, you know, what are your fears of bringing this brand to the table? I have a really amazing partner, Logan Horn, who comes from more of the fashion side. He used to work with Azuline, and so he has this amazing knowledge of brands, whether it's someone like Vibrato or Sony, and he's saying, well, they're working on this, you know, it could be appropriate to bring them in. So it's really been an eye-opener for me, realizing the, um, the way to weave fashion yeah. into what we're doing, but at a really elevated level. I think a lot of people try and push fashion collaborations with the art world, and so the art world a lot of the time oh, has yeah. this like negative taste in their mouth, like, yeah. oh, yeah. fashion and art, it's, a, it's the wrong mix. But when you see it done right, it's like, wow. Yeah. It, you know, just wow. I mean, the Calvin Klein collaboration right. is a perfect example. They did a great job. It's about the art. Yeah. And, and then, because it's about the art, the fashion is elevated. Right. And so I think you have to know um, the appropriate steps when you are coming together with these fashion brands. And that's why you have to have the right people on your team. Because I know the most important thing is know what you're not good at. Right. <laughs> you know what you're not good at, then you can really move forward. That's and nice. so that's that's why I say a team, you can't do it all yourself. Is that, you know, I'm a control freak, so I like to think, oh, I can do it all. But yeah. the biggest lesson I had was saying, I need help. Yeah. 
a great lesson to learn. I think that everyone, and if you ask for help, people want to give it. That's what always shocks me, especially working with these big brands. You know, when I ask, hey guys, my design team is totally like backed up. People always want to help and they always want to get involved. So it's just like remembering to ask for that, right. that extra help. And being a New Yorker, I think you always want to think, oh, I'm tough. I can do oh, it. Yeah. Uh, right. it all on my own. I can it's manage this. Yeah. No, 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 no. But I think that, you know, Miami is going to be a great thing for you guys to see. We have some amazing partnerships. We're going to, we're bringing in some fashion. We're bringing in some health and wellness. Right. So we're going to take care of, I was saying, guys, people are so exhausted in Miami. Let's take care of them a little. Let's give them some TLC before they, before they have the onslaught of events and, and art viewing. So, so I, I can't wait for, for you guys to actually experience more of, of the magic we try and create. But it's, uh, it's still a learning process. You know, we're, we're only in year two of ever having events. These publications didn't really, they didn't have the manpower. Uh, they were so focused on this kind of giant shift from people being so dedicated to these publications to feeling like I can just go on Twitter and Instagram and get my information there. So this year has been very telling and it's really exciting to see what we've done in just a year and how much we're going to be doing in 2019. It's probably going to double if not triple. Well, it's about the experience. Creating experiences. So an event is an experience. And, And Experiences for everyone. Yeah, that that's the, that's the reason we're doing experiences because I think the print and digital has have become too uh, too narrow for our audience, and we have new audiences that won't be able to get into it and and really learn without that initial hook. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 really about creating new hooks. So. There'll be amazing content happening in LA for a really broad audience. We'll be doing stuff back in New York during degrees, uh, and then on to Hong Kong. Okay, this is a question for both of you. Who are some of your favorite artists? Ooh, living or dead? Like, huh. Well, I would say that you have to check out the Dan Poland show that's out in LA right now. He just did a really special new body of work, um, and I, I truly love his work. We just yesterday were at the Francesco Clemente opening at the Brandt Foundation, which is really interesting because as an older living artist, they were showing work that is not traditionally what you expect when you think of Francesco. I mean, he is an iconic name. So for sure. people that are familiar with his work, you think one thing so it was really, really lovely um, to see his work. Uh, Curtis Kulig, who's a dear friend of mine, I love his work. You can, people that aren't familiar, I will say, just look at Juice Press. <laughs> He's got his own juice, it's the love me. It's got like a little circle with the, with the love me in it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the list could go on and on. Uh, I think that for me, I don't have favorites. Like sure, every, hard. every artist like fills a different part of me. And, and I think that the minute you think, oh, I've got my favorites, then you've lost touch. Yeah. Because I think what's so exciting about my job is every day I'm shown something I never yeah. thought I would see. I'm 
blown away. And and that's the beauty of, of being in a space that everything and people are coming onto the scene. And having a mother who's an artist, it's so hard and sad how, you know, how many artists are unknown. How many artists never make it? Uh, it's the same with fashion designers. I mean, it's just, it's such a difficult space. Uh, and or dancers or, or anything that we do. Yeah, and it's our job to try and always be open to finding that next great person. And I think that it's really easy to become limited and kind of hardened in your lane, but we all have to remind each other that there's there's always still someone new out there. Mm -hmm. For me, it's hard to just pick one of, I mean, just one favorite sure. artist, living artist, because I'm a gallerist and I'm a living artist. So I, if I can just pick, like some of my favorite artists in the 19th century, <laughs> I'd like to pick um, Eugene Delacroix, who's having a show at the Met right now. His drawings are yeah. actually amazing and obviously like, there are such iconic pieces at the Louvre, but you know some of great pieces uh, are at the Met, so I think that's um, He's one of my favorite artists. Also, I can just say one of my favorite shows in Manhattan right now. I really like Sarah Lucas show at the museum. Very good. Um, Extremely yeah. exciting for contemporary art. It's just, it's so dynamic. And I think it has a little bit for everyone. You know, that it's sometimes hard and artists can be very specific mm -hmm. and, and you're like, oh, this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. But it, it has such breadth. Everyone should see it. Great. Okay, so in terms of the art world, tell us the ins and outs and kind of what are the different roles that are available. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, as a person who majored in art, I thought, okay, I'm going to become a curator. Because I, I think in, in university it's very hard to understand all the different roles in the art world. Um, you know, maybe I didn't go to the right university, but it just felt very confusing. I don't think I had a practical sense of how you even begin to get in the art. Because talk about intimidation walking into a gallery. The intimidation factor of trying to get into the art world, if your family isn't already a huge collector and doesn't have connections at Sotheby's or Christie's or Gagosian, it's it's hard. You gotta work your way up the bottom. And that's five years sitting behind the desk and that's your job is to sit behind the desk. And and if you don't have vision, you could get pretty depressed sure. sitting behind the desk because you're probably doing like fact sheets and spell checking press releases. Um, however, being in a gallery, especially a gallery that you love, can be an amazing I mean, I, my dream used to be to work for Paula Cooper, who's one of the most iconic female galleries from back in the day. Um, and I was there for one day and I was like, nope, I can't do this. Because I'm not someone who wants to sit behind a desk. Right. I'm not someone who wants to spell check my boss's shoes. It's just that's, sure. that's like where my creativity gets turned all the way down. But for people that 
want to help champion artists from a sales perspective, then you've got to be willing to put in that time. Because it's the, that time when you're sitting behind the desk that you hear all the conversations, you understand the window. It's like where you pick up on so much. Sure. So there's the gallery side, which is you know either being in sales, working with a big salesperson and being their you know, number two for many years and then kind of taking on your own clients. Then there's the institution side. So you can work at a museum, you can work under curators, you can work in communications and social media. You can work for foundations on the like So just closing up on the different roles in the art world, I think that philanthropy and foundation work is an amazing space to be in. You are really kind of protected from the art market working on the foundation side, which really allows you to kind of get into um, what I feel like is a little bit more of an integrity space. Uh, you're not being pushed around on the business side, and you really can focus on an artist's vision, uh, which is one of my favorite things to do, really like sure. delve deep. Um, but I think that as media is growing, the opportunity and roles in the art world are going to continue to expand. And I think that it's really important for anyone that wants to work in the art world to be attending talks, lectures that, that go outside of just the traditional art space, whether that's going to a talk at Columbia or going to talks at the Whitney. There really is so much out there, and it's really just about being curious. Uh, you know, our publications are constantly, you know, posting different conferences that are happening all around the world, um, trying to look at, you know, what are the different uh, jobs and positions that exist and that are emerging. I think that's the exciting thing of what's emerging. And I mean, my role specifically, it didn't exist. I like dreamed it up. And I think, you know, it's dream up your own job and then figure out where you need to go to, to get the tools because we're still teaching people off of an industrial revolution education. Right. So like be your own inspiration and say, I need to work to this model I can create my own. And that's where like new businesses so I think the more we encourage people to think like that, the, the better uh, positions and roles we'll have. Okay, let's talk about the art market. What is happening? Oh, the art market's all over the place, but right now, like, pretty strong overall. I mean, you probably have a much more in-depth sense. Uh, we deal specifically with, you know, looking at who the major collectors are, and that tends to not shift too much every year. Maybe you get one additional top 200 collector uh, a year, maybe one or two drop-off. Um, but the art market, as of September, was just predicted to keep on booming. And I mean, I think that amongst uh, my friends and colleagues, we are saying, when is this bust going to happen? Because it is just getting bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, so yes, I think there will be a shift. Uh, but I also think that the people at the top, these first don't really affect them. They're going to keep seeking um, the pieces and the collections that they have in mind to build. It's really more that mid-group of, kind of emerging and hobby collectors that you really see shift when, when the market sure. goes down. I, don't know. I think right now, uh, European markets are quite... Uh, Pretty quiet. So mostly European dealers or collectors 
even related artists they tend to uh, do more business in the states. But also in the states, uh, when we see you know like auctions and actually like true like people who buys artwork from auction houses, it's not just uh, collectors from America. Many of collectors are from Asia. So I think great shows happen in Europe and America, and a lot of collectors and buyers are in Asia. Not, and especially right now, um, the Korea market is uh, getting bigger and bigger. I don't know if the market is bigger, but there, obviously there are more collectors than ever. So many big galleries, even auction houses, few recently opened their uh, space in Korea. Uh, Limo Murphy opened up their gallery in Korea. Um, big things coming up. Yeah, yeah. Big, big they're here, yeah, actually. Yeah. Uh, I'm very excited to be going this 2019. We'll be doing some exploration to see what's next. Yeah. So right now, China market is actually not so strong, uh, especially Last week there was there were two art fairs and they didn't do well. Interesting. And they said this was the worst year ever. Um, and I've talked to a few big galleries and um, seems like the market in China is a little weak. It got weaker, but uh, Taiwan and Korea. Is like that is stronger and better. Yeah, that's interesting. Shift. Okay, what is the importance of art fairs? Well, people are questioning that. I think that they've gotten too important, and if anything, now people are saying there's got to be more alternative models because it's gotten so expensive. And, and there is, she was saying, there are too many. Yeah. There are too many art fairs, and it's it's such an insane schedule, similar to the fashion schedule, that it just it loses its kind of special. Oh, this is you know everyone is coming to this fair because mm -hmm. it's the fair, and that was what Art Basel was mm -hmm. was kind of the top 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 fair. Mm -hmm. um, and with Miami, I feel like changed its tone a little and now it's over a decade that Miami's been happening and people now when you ask them like are you going to Miami they roll their eyes and say no because it's not about the art it's about the party and there's nothing wrong with that I think that there's definitely a whole demographic that maybe they're getting into this art market because of the party and it's like the kind of the funny joke the art world knows how to party <laughs> so I think there's nothing wrong with it, but I, I do think there has become too much of an importance on these art fairs, but it also speaks to the fact that we're such a global economy now. Mm -hmm. And really to experience the different kinds of art, you've got to go to Zonko. You've got to go to the Contemporary African Art Fair in Marrakesh. You've got to go to Hong Kong because seeing and being in those places, you get a whole other sense of the variety of art markets you have. Mm -hmm. Because these art fairs are crazy. They're like these international bubbles where you see people that you see every day in New York, mm -hmm. but then you also are meeting all of these new clients. Mm -hmm. So it is a great place for business. Mm -hmm. It's just becoming really diluted. Mm -hmm. And so art fairs, the importance of them, not going to die. Going to keep growing. I think it's just there is going to be a, a, like shows will, fairs will be cut and different fairs are going to emerge. Just like 
from the dawn of fairs. Sure. It's just there's going to be a shift in where they've been for the past 20 years, and I think that places like Mexico City, LA, are going to become yeah. new, really important uh, kind of global coming together zones. I mean, London is not going anywhere. People love coming mm-hmm. to London, but I think Miami. I don't know what's going to happen with Miami. And also, I'm really curious, like. Middle America, there's a huge demand there, and no one's been able to figure out whether that's something that would happen in St. Louis mm-hmm. or in you know somewhere yes. in Texas. I mean, you look at the Dallas Center; it's a perfect example of a city saying, "We need a fair. We have the right infrastructure," and it's become in the last five years this amazing fair. Mm-hmm. People love it. It's small enough; it's got its own kind of taste, mm-hmm. uh, look, and feel. They're trying to do the same thing in Seattle. I don't know if it's working as well. In another few years, maybe people will really get into it. There's a huge collector group there, so it makes sense. It's just hard to get an international um, crowd to Seattle. But, you know, I, I love fairs. I love going to fairs. I always meet, I mean, that's a huge place where I meet clients. Sure. Huge place where I make new business. Development deals, it's so important to what I'm doing. So I really value it, but I also see the struggle. Um, that so many of the dealers and galleries are experiencing mm-hmm. with the overhead and, and just really, you know, how do you know what affair is going to be good? It's just, it's such a gamble. So many people went to Shanghai thinking, oh my God, this is going to be so great. And it wasn't, it was not what they thought it was going to be. Okay, what are you most excited about in today's art world? <laughs> That's hard. I mean, I think change. I think change. I think that the the creative space I'm in is really trying to see not necessarily what it's going to become, but being open to how we're going to change it, and and really trying to soak up as many new methods. There's an amazing conference I'd recommend to anyone in media that happens every October called the Future of Storytelling, and that's like the perfect example of a space where you go for a few days and it really tries to show you everything that's out there in terms of how we are communicating. So whether that's through video, through AI, through a book, yeah, it's crazy. Novel, as yeah. That be. Um, they're they're showcasing, and you know they've done everything from bringing Palabolas or Sleep No More to really understand how engagement is changing and and how the experience story is changing. So I think that that's the truly the most exciting thing about the art world is really how much. Um, change is going to happen in the next five years, and to not be afraid of that. I think that uh, I've seen a lot in my job how afraid galleries are and foundations are of this change, and I think that I'm here to say it's all going to be so good. It's it's just about having more people um, like me that are really working to kind of come up with solutions, and I think there are a lot of us out there. Um, we're just we're still figuring out how to all come together and, and really kind of cheer each other on because that's that's probably the saddest thing I find in the art world is how competitive we are with each other instead of like embracing and inclusive. And so I think the more we try and reassure that like we're all in this together, <laughs> we're all doing this because we love art and we love culture, and we can't forget that. You know, this isn't a, this isn't a race. This is this is our history, and and we all want to um, bring it and and continue to bring it to people. So this isn't a, this isn't a competition. We're in it together. 
I think discovering new artists is always a very exciting thing. Um, ten years ago, discovering artists from, let's say, South America or even Africa was very challenging. Sure. But after, um, you know, um, after, what is that? Um, after I see people start using Instagram, yeah. everybody just can have, like find other artists uh, just through hashtags, right? So I think uh, right now, uh, especially in London, they are showing more African artists and bring South African artists to uh, London and they uh, show their first and sometimes they bring those artists to America. And in New York, uh, more South American artists are showing in New York or Miami, sometimes uh, in LA. So this social media really help uh, to give more exposure to young emerging artists who work, who work in so many like different countries, like countries sure, that sure. We never thought about. So I think. Uh, that part is super exciting and like right now we're showing Brazilian artists and mm -hmm. our next show is uh, Amir Naif who is from Tel Aviv. So I think through social media I could uh, find very interesting artists yeah. and yeah, uh, I think that's the most exciting part yeah. of the moment. Which segues perfectly into your next question. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> First question is, how else do you discover new artists? So besides Instagram, do you guys are so interested in what they're saying? I think it's, a, it's kind of a melting pot. I think if you really are always open, you meet artists. And the, like, sometimes it's the coffee shop, sometimes I'm sitting on like the stoop and I'm smoking a cigarette and I like, See someone drawing, sometimes it's at a party at four in the morning and someone says, you've got to look at this artist's work. I mean, it, it really, if you are open, you're, there's not like one way. Right. And if you think there's one way, you're doing it wrong. Um, sometimes it's walking into a dear friend's gallery and being like, oh my goodness. Right. Sometimes you get a direct message from an artist saying, check out my work and it actually winds up being amazing. Yeah. Like, it, it, I think you really do have to realize in this day and age, there's a million and one ways for someone to find you or for you to find someone. And, and that it's it's about kind of keeping your eye out on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I love about my job. It's always reminding me, like, are you, are you still looking up? Because right. you can get so focused in what you're doing yeah. that that's how you miss up. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you really always have to make sure to look up every now and then. Mm -hmm. Uh, go outside of the norm of what you would do. That's what I would say. Yeah. And also, if like one artist is so talented, even if he or she doesn't promote like, themselves, people will find the, the artist. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're so talented, sure. you cannot hide your talent. Right. That's so amazing. even like your artist who's like, only like, 27, 28, mm -hmm. if they're so good. They can like ask, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even if, I mean, he was just so young. Yeah, he was young, but yeah. he made his career back. Right. People try to find. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's also like finding, I mean, when you meet, when you make new friends, you know? Yeah. You don't expect it. How do right, you find right. It? It's just like very organic right. way, right? Yeah. 
Right. So, and that's a good way to put it. Thank you for listening to the Style That Binds Us podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We would love it if you would go to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. The best way for us to know your thoughts is if you rate and review the Style That Binds Us podcast. This will give us the opportunity to know what you'd like to see from us in the future. Follow along on our adventures on social media at The Style That Binds Us, at Allison Brune, at Delia Folk, are our handles. Until next time.